I look around. The night has drawn in while he was talking. The window onto the veranda is open, and I am listening for stealthy feet on the boards outside. In the brush at the bottom of Master Wu's garden, something snuffles. I don't know whether ninjas snuffle. It seems to me that a very subtle sort of ninja might snuffle so as to make you think he was a neighborhood dog, or just to let you know he was there and yet leave you guessing. On the other hand, maybe a ninja would regard this kind of trick as amateurish. I try to relax my shoulders so as not to be caught tense by the attack which might be coming. This is extremely difficult in a big soft chair, and I feel like an idiot for choosing the lounger. Elizabeth is sitting on a more upright thing with hard cushions, and consequently need only roll forward or leap up to be ready for anything. Master Wu's chair is a rocker, although he has stopped the motion with his cane. The opportunities for fast deployment from a rocking chair are many. Only I will be caught double-weighted, stolidly caught between one foot and another, and therefore immobile, or worse, on my fat arse. I have not been mindful. On the other hand, if I am honest, the two better fighters in the room are well placed by virtue of my choice. Perhaps I am subconsciously a master tactician. When I was five, Master Wu goes on, I built a ninja trap. The sorrow recedes, and something warm fills him, a weathered pride held close across the years. I had been out in the forest collecting game from snares, rabbits. In the mud there were footprints. The ninjas came out of the forest and watched us in the night. They liked us to know they were watching all the time, so that anything you did after dark, you were afraid. It was daytime now, and I thought if I made a big snare, a strong one, and laid it on the path, I might catch a ninja and make my mother less afraid. I might see approval in my father's face, like when I worked well in his tannery, or when I practiced my forms one more time after he had told me I could stop. He might grunt. My father laughed when he thought something was funny, and he smiled when he was happy, but he only grunted when he was impressed. I made him grunt very seldom. So I borrowed some tools, and I made a big, wide snare out of wet leather, and covered it in mud leaves and attached it to a big old log, so that when the snare was touched, the log would haul the ninja up in the air and left it there. He shrugs. It was a very bad ninja trap. Possibly an old, fat, stupid ninja might have tripped over and fallen on his stomach because he was laughing so much at this trap and injured himself. If he fell in the right direction, he might have put one foot in the snare at the same time and been caught in it. But when he had finally caught his breath and finished laughing, he would just have cut himself down and gone away. Ninjas are not like rabbits. But that night, I woke up, and there was a ninja in my room. He was staring down at me, and he said, My name is Hong. You may call me Master Hong. What is your name? So I told him my name, and he said, 
Do you know who I am? And I told him he was Shang Shu, an assassin, because I had never heard of ninjas then. And he laughed. I am Sifu Hong of the Clockwork Hand Society. We are the sons of tigers. We are the hope of China, of the world. We are order. And you, you are the little boy who sets traps for us. I didn't say anything because I was afraid. And he said, children don't hunt tigers, boy. Tigers hunt children. Which is actually not fair to tigers. It's only ninjas which hunt children. I didn't say anything. I was too scared to move or cry out or even to pee, which was something I very much wanted to do. He said, So now we have come for you because of your pride. Because we always come in the end. You are lucky. We have not made you wait. Because... We always come in the end. And he drew out a knife, suitable for hiding under clothes at a very expensive banquet or for opening the veins of a small boy. I prepared myself to feel the grating of that blade against my bones, the swift warm rush of my life, and then to find out what was the fate of children in the world beyond. And then... You understand, I was very surprised, and I thought for a moment this was part of his preparation to kill me. His left foot flew up in the air, and he flew out into the hall, and the knife fell on the floor in my bedroom. There was a terrible cry and silence, and my father came into my room and carried me out into the hall, and there was my ninja hanging by his foot, with a huge leather working owl buried in his chest. He was hanging by the twine from a ninja trap, just like mine. And my father held me by the shoulders, and he made me look, and he said, What did you do wrong? I thought about it, and I thought about saying I had been foolish to involve myself in grown-up things, that I should have asked him before trying to catch a ninja or that I had not considered the nature of my prey and should have made the trap to kill rather than to capture, or maybe just weeping because I was so relieved. My father asked again, and finally I said I had made a functional trap, but I had put it in the wrong place. And my father thought about this, and he thought long and hard, for he said nothing while we cut the ninja down and dragged his body into the main square. And then we walked home, and finally he looked back at the square and down at me, and he grunted. Master Wu smiles and raises his hands like Bruce Lee and says, Hi! and throws his paper napkin at Elizabeth. She deflects it with the flat of her hand and says, Pff! which is the noise hands like lethal weapons make in movies, and she rolls off her chair and throws a pillow at me. I decide to let it hit me and fling my arms wide to indicate that I have expired. Master Wu grins. He is faking. His dead-appearing gong-fu skill is weak. And after that, it is a merry evening 
and much fun is had by all before we must wash up the teapot and go on our way. And by then we have just about persuaded ourselves that, like the Mingo Sun and the Chinese space effort, Master Wu's ninjas are one of his goofy jokes. I am so engrossed in my small world that I entirely neglect the bigger one. With the consequence that, when it comes time to look for a job or a place to continue my studies, I am utterly unprepared. The rest of the world is facing graduation and university. I am again tail end Charlie. I do not know the language, and I seem to have missed the deadlines. And there is no space for me on the forms. Elizabeth is going to a place up country called Alembic, having quite naturally sorted everything out last year. And it is she who galvanizes me, sets me on course again, stamps her foot until I pay attention. No, she says, I'll. No, you won't. But no. She stares at me. At eighteen, she is not pale or albino or that weird Scandinavian super blonde, but close on translucent, like something living in the dark of the sea. Almost, she is drawn in black and white, and this coloration is so strange that it distracts you from a face, which is strong, perhaps a little too broad, with features which lack the perfect symmetry of the beautiful or the mediocrity of pretty, so that she is striking, maybe attractive, but definitely unique. Until this moment, we have never had a conversation about anything which wasn't part of life and the voiceless dragon, and we are both confused and a little alarmed by this sudden shift. She frowns. Right, go and see my mother. I, she holds up one finger like a dagger. Don't make me stamp. At which point, I have to confess that I have no idea who her mother is. Elizabeth looks at me as if I have grown an extra head. I'm Elizabeth Soames. I'm Assumption Soames's daughter. And now I know who she looks like, although it's too weird to think about it because Elizabeth is my own age and not a lunatic, and her mother is my headmistress, the evangelist. I gargle at her. She stares at me fiercely until I concede that I will talk to Gonzo's parents and ask them for advice, and if that fails, go and talk to Assumption, and then she kisses me once on the right cheek, and flees, to say her au revoir to Master Wu. I feel a curious lurch as she closes the door, and set myself firmly on track for the Lubitsch residence to talk about embarkation. Students at the Soames School do not merely graduate. The school's founders were secular men of rationalist bent, and they considered that the young persons entrusted to them for broadening and preparation were not going on to some higher realm of adulthood or finishing their studies, but merely changing venues in their search for truth. For this reason, and also because the evangelist holds anything old as a natural good. As if a practice could acquire holiness with repetition, in which case certain sins she has forbidden in strident tones must surely by now qualify as redeemed and even redemptive. Those leaving the school each year are said to be embarking, and they are referred to not as embarkees, which carry some stain of steerage class about it, 
but as embarkand, which is both suitably academic and ineffably superior. I do not feel like an embarkand. I feel more like a castaway. Around me, young men and women are preparing for places at exalted colleges and working part-time or sponging to pay for them. They buy new clothes and pack suitcases and talk in a strange code about bunking and halls, freshers, gyps, mats and frats, about North Week and courts and moots. When questioned, they fall silent and look embarrassed, which I take to mean that if you don't know already... There's no hope you'll be going. It is like a midnight feast to which only the cake-bearing elite will be invited, and I have no cake, no cake tin, and no book of recipes. Even if I did, I lack means to purchase flour. Gonzo has naturally secured a scholarship to study land management and agricultural economics at a university called Jarndyce. Naturally, because while it is absolutely forbidden to offer scholarships on grounds of sporting prowess alone, fortuitously LMAE seems to require a certain cast of mind whose academic virtues are not readily subject to conventional testing, but which is strangely and happily consonant with that required to grasp instinctively the tactics and strategy of a number of competitive field enterprises. Some students of LMAE, regrettably, become so immersed in this alternative use for their talents that they never, in fact, obtain a degree at all, choosing instead to enter the arena of professional sports. John Dice University's horror at this waste of young minds is somewhat offset by the fact that these same sad failures often provide the best captains and star players for the university and honour the dear old place with small thanks, such as libraries, pavilions, and, in one case, a painting by Van Gogh. Gonzo was interviewed for the scholarship in the LMAE admissions office, just off the rugby pitch, and after they'd talked about cows, Gonzo displayed a detailed knowledge of their digestive processes and expressed a hope that he might, working with a particularly comely member of the vet school, be able to discover a cure for the plague of flatulence and burping which had afflicted the university herd since his arrival on Thursday. And loams, Gonzo averred that he had no outstanding debts. And crop rotation. My mother told me never to play with my food, at which Professor Dolan nearly swallowed his pen lid and had to be carried out. The interviewees were invited to pop out onto the field for a friendly, informal, entirely optional interviewees versus first fifteen match, in which the interviewees were thrashed seventy-three to fourteen. The visitors' points coming exclusively through the efforts of G. William Lubitsch. A post-match tally of incidents and accidents also revealed that Gonzo had legally but savagely incapacitated two members of the home team and taken significant hurts to his person without noticeable diminution of his ability, viz. a minor concussion, a briefly dislocated shoulder, three stitches over the left eye, two cracked ribs, and assorted bruises and impact marks which, on removal of his shirt, caused the physiotherapist to insist that he accompany her instantly to her office, where she could tend to his hurts more thoroughly.
It is not that Gonzo could not have found a place to study using his brain. He is more than capable. It is that this would have involved more effort than he cares to expend or has ever needed to.